Hi, and welcome to The Fit, the fashion, innovation, and technology podcast hosted by eFitter, personalizing the shopping experience for you. My name's Judith. And I'm Elizabeth. And on The Fit, we delve into the complex world of fashion and tech with insights from industry players, old and new, and much, much more. Join us every other Monday for a new episode you do not want to miss. To join the tribe, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at eFitter app, and join the conversation using the hashtag TheFitPod. This is our 60 second roundup where we try to summarize what's going on in the world of fashion and tech in 60 seconds. In March, retailers canceled orders, refused payment and left fashion workers without a salary or severance pay for months due to the pandemic. While many buyers cited force majeure clauses to justify their breach of contract, pay up fashion emerged, created to avoid situations like this unfolding in the future. The movement challenges brands to pay up, keep workers safe and go transparent. It is clear that going back to business as usual is no longer an option. And with another lockdown potentially brewing, the question is how do we build the supply chain differently? Courtney Kardashian's Poosh has gotten creative with a Poosha Wellness Virtual Festival. The pivot not only demonstrates how brands connect with their communities online, but it also shows the wellness or living your best life movement is one that has taken over during the last few months. It may be a first for Poosh, but they're not the first. Many brands in the health and wellness space have veered into the festival space to create immersive experiences for their customers. The impact of the recession on fashion and luxury is expected to be more severe this year than the recession a decade ago. The total sales dropping between $450 billion to $650 billion from 2019 levels. Added to that, a pandemic, store closures and disruptions to manufacturing, it doesn't look promising. Analysts believe the shift in consumer habits impact to be long-term, and although some regions may bounce back, it may not be the same story for all. Today, we're speaking with Yorena, founder and CEO of Kashmir App, a smart savings app that empowers women and girls to be better with their finances so that they can have access to the lifestyle they desire. Now, as we discussed in the 60-second roundup, we're seeing a massive effect on luxury industries due to COVID. Um, we are now officially in a recession and we're expecting the drop to continue in terms of people shopping in luxury fashion. So I guess my first question to you, Yorena, is how do you think the fashion industry can use emergent technologies to make themselves re- recession-proof in the future? Um, I think, first of all, the first thing a lot of luxury brands in particular need to adopt is uh, e-commerce. Um, so obviously we know like the retailers like Selfridges, Harrods and so on do sell online but a lot of like the traditional luxury brands don't which obviously meant that during the lockdown you know like for example like Chanel during the lockdown they couldn't sell anything because you know they're traditionally just in store and all that so and it's quite insane in my opinion that in 2020 some of these brands are not really open to um, adopting technology as quick as they should uh, and so that when I even have conversations with uh, um like people in the industry, um, particularly I was having a conversation with uh, a guy who works at LVMH and his job is really to get the brands to adopt emerging technology because um, he works at chief, as chief digital officer there. And he was saying that like, it's hard. It is really hard to get them. I, I, don't, I, don't, under, I don't really understand why that is um, because surely by adopting new technology it means that you are actually staying relevant because if you're going to focus on you know the traditional customer those guys are going to die out soon um and you know the younger millennial gen Z generation we want technology like we want to be able to order things on the top of our fingers and not have to like do with any stress and they're not really appealing to us as much so who knows how long that strategy of being very traditional will last um so i feel like they need to 
start there and that's something that's very very basic before we even start talking about like ai or any of the other like you know cool stuff like a lot of these brands we need to focus on how can we have a presence online that means that like anyone anywhere in the world can actually purchase from them without having to leave their house Sure. I mean, I guess the thing with lots of these heritage brands is um, there is a level of exclusivity to them. So perhaps yeah. it's a question of whether by being online, you're accessible to the masses and maybe there's a degree of that exclusivity that is lost. Especially as you know, if you go into um, a lot of these stores, you're having quite an exclusive treatment. So it's wondering yeah. how that can translate online, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean th- that is a fair point. But at the same time, their price alone excludes most people. Not yeah. anyone, not everyone, even if like Hermes, for example, decided to have an online store, 99% of the world still won't be able to access any of the products on there anyway. So their pricing alone excludes most people. I think, I do think that in order for them to survive in the long term, they do need to find a way to like create like online experiences, like digital experiences that. So obviously it would never be the same as you know, being in store and being pampered by the sales assistants and all that. But it's still like a luxury experience. Like even if we look at, even with the, the current like e-commerce, luxury e-commerce sites, their experience isn't really that great either. Like in terms of like the online shopping experience, like sometimes like I'm trying to filter something and I can't filter properly. Like I'm not gonna name names, but there's certain brands that need to improve their online uh, shopping experience. But it's just ridiculous. And I'm like, I don't understand why they have the money, they have the talent. So why don't they just invest that time and effort into creating like a good beautiful experience um online because it's not it's not impossible i've seen other brands who not necessarily luxury but they do have very seamless curated experience or shopping experience online so it is possible to do just leading on to the conversation with regards to recession and more consumer focus we are obviously speaking more on the tech side and more sustainable side on this conversation and we wanted to know because obviously we compare this recession to the 2008 recession and there's talks i think this particular article literally said this is worse than 2008 for fashion and luxury but the question really yeah. is for sustainable fashion how can the recession or can it be beneficial for that industry that the, the part of the industry where they want us to be more conscious they want us to save instead of spend 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 using you know certain buy now pay later schemes like how does the recession um offer more benefits to the sustainable fashion industry um i think it depends i think it depends on what we are defining as sustainable fashion because if we're speaking on like you know like fashion brands that focus on using sustainable materials and all of that stuff to create their products then it might be a bit more difficult for them during a recession just because their products tend to be more expensive than, you know, buying stuff from preloading or misguided or whatever. Um, so it means that like, you know, you know, right now people are losing their jobs and stuff. So like they might, why would they buy a dress that is 200 pounds from a sustainable brand when they can buy something that's 50 pounds or 20 pounds from a non-sustainable brand? So need to sort of weigh, weigh that up but if we're talking about like sort of like the sustainable mindsets of like or sustainable lifestyle and fashion in terms of like you know how do we spend our money how are we like more conscious and mindful I think now is a great time because again like I said you know people are losing their jobs no one really knows what's going to happen tomorrow so you know people people have need to start thinking about like do I need to spend my money on all of this stuff right now do I need to be having 500 pounds worth of stuff in my ASOS basket or can I spread it out a bit more or should I spend this thousand pound um this you know this um Gucci bag right now on my credit card when I can just maybe save up for it um so those are the conversations that people should be having if they're not having that already and right now I think the recession definitely will be 
um, a good time for brands who are focused on sort of like mindful consumption and you know conscious consumption to really thrive. Sure. So on that note, you've spoken about, you know, the idea of putting aside the money incrementally to save for that Gucci bag. Tell us a bit about Kashmir. And it'll be really interesting to know how did your journey as a financial advisor inform the direction you took with Kashmir? Yeah, sure. So um, so Kashmir is a savings app that helps you know, young, aspirational millennials, Gen Z women to save up for and buy their favourite luxury products and mainly fashion and beauty products, but not in a much more financially responsible manner. So i.e saving money each month towards buying an item so how it works is when a user goes goes on the app they can browse through a wide range of luxury products on there from different brands we've got partnerships with some of the retailers like farfetch harrods havernickels suffrages you know whatever um, and then the users can add that to their wish list decide how much they want to save each month so let's say like uh there's a bag that's 300 pounds and i want to save 50 pounds every month towards this bag once they connect their bank um their bank account to their cashmere wallets that money goes into their cashmere wallet every month and then um once they've hit their goal they can track how close they are towards it in the goal and once they hit their goal they can then buy the item directly on cashmere so it's kind of like a really like cool way to like save up for something that you want um and it, you also get like more motivated to want to save because you can see how close you are like oh my god i'm, I'm going to be able to buy this Gucci bag in three months whereas when you're saving your bank account in this kind of the same concept are you saving money but it's not as fun it's not as interactive it's not as like um visual i guess um because you know once you, you know when it comes to like you know motivation and goals like you're more likely to hit your goal when you can visually see it rather mm-hmm. than if it's something that's like pretty abstract so that's kind of like what we're doing um, with Kashmir. And then we've recently launched the cashback system where when you save and spend using Kashmir, you get between 1% and 3% um, cashback, which is, you know, better than the savings accounts because savings accounts, you only get like 0.1% interest. So, um, and everyone loves like free money. <laughs> that's something so, I'm um, really excited about because um, I opened my Kashmir wallet about three months ago. And the main motivation for me was I love Pinhaligans. <laughs> I really love Pinhaligans. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I could just buy Pinhaligon's perfume, but I feel like the freedom to just, you know, splash out nearly 200 pounds on this perfume, I will feel quite comfortable doing that repeatedly. And this is actually making me feel like this perfume is a reward, even though, you know, yeah. I only purchase a certain amount every month. And the cashback idea is really exciting to me, especially, you know, better than the interest rates that you're getting. So I guess the question here is, how do you think your experience um, in finance has, you know, determined the fact that you're, that the cashmere wallet lives on the cashmere site rather than just making product recommendations or anything else because it's very much a fintech yeah so how did you um how do you think your previous experience determined that direction um so i guess coming from like a financial advisor point of view like i my job previously was around managing investments for high net worth individuals providing them with financial advice so managing their entire estates all of that helping them with like future planning and stuff so a lot of that, even though it's it's like a different like career, like it, but a lot of the skills are very transferable in terms of like, okay, this is the life I want to live in the future. How what do I need to do right now in order to get get to that life? So even if like you know my clients, okay, they want to have like I don't know like twenty million pounds like in their retirement, so then they're maybe like thirty five or something. How do we get them to invest in this or put money in this in order for them to get to that twenty million for retirement? So it's the same point concept to cashmere. Like I wanna get this Ben Halligan's perfume in the next, I don't know, like four or five months, what do I need to do right now in order to be able to um, get that comfortably and not have to feel like I have to cut down on like 
this or I have to like even not be able to pay my rent or any of that stuff. It's more about like, you know, sustainable ways of being able to achieve the lifestyle you want in the future. So that's kind of like, even though there, there, there are two very different, um, I guess, careers, but there's this, the skills and the basic concepts do remain the same. I love how the transferability of the skills actually do apply, I think, perfectly from financial advisor to fintech. And I'm also loving how Kashmir itself is obviously a tech company um, and you're the solo founder, like the only yeah. founder. Yeah. How, like, what would you say is the biggest challenge of, you know, transferring those skills from finance to tech and also being the only founder building this fintech company? Yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> where do I begin? Um, it, it, I mean, it is difficult. And, you know, it was even more difficult at the very beginning because I didn't come from a, like, I didn't come from a tech background. I, I, didn't, even think, I didn't even know the word fintech was a word because um, I came from, you know, traditional finance and having to sort of like, I guess, immerse myself into the tech industry like through like meeting people networking reading a lot and just sort of like immersing myself into this world so that like I was starting to get a lot more knowledge about what I needed to do in order to like start a tech company and then from then on like you know it just kind of you know my knowledge increased my networks increased and so on so I think like I'm the sort of person where I don't really like I don't wait until I know stuff in order to do it I just jump into it and figure it out on the way so that's kind of how I've always approached anything I've never done before so um but yeah no so it it was difficult especially as a solo founder because you haven't got like like you know a co-founder where you can like bounce ideas off from like regularly or like you know that or can share the burden when things aren't going well or can even share the like the financial commitments because obviously I have to pay for everything myself so like it was it was difficult and it's still is difficult. It's a lot easier right now because I feel like I've kind of been in the game for like a couple of years now. So I've learned a lot and I've learned a lot from mistakes I've made early on, but it's, I'm still nowhere near where I need to be. But it's, it's, it's a continuous state of continuous improvement is what I always call it. Definitely. I think it is a journey. And obviously we yeah. talked about this in our first season about, you know, co-founding and, you know, it's, it's great. Like it's, it's the best thing that we could have done for, this business and you know with our skill set but when we look at solo female founders especially because we know like when it comes to raising fund fundraising uh, (laughs) investing or speaking to investors and just you know that whole world it's is another barrier to overcome yeah um so kudos to you honestly for building this and and and, you know carving your name i think in, in this industry that's really great um Another question I wanted to ask, though, is more consumer facing, because when I was hearing you and Bleggy speak about, you know, saving towards something and it's like a reward and, you know, the mindset of I deserve this because I've saved for it instead of just splashing out 200, 300 pounds. Could we now say that this is promoting a more sustainable lifestyle because you wouldn't essentially push for someone to buy something 200 pounds, 300 pounds a month on buy now, pay later and say that's sustainable. But with cashmere it's completely opposite because it's the mindset is more towards saving instead of spending what you don't have um, yeah and saving and when you reach that goal then you now spend it how do you think that promotes like the intentional saving lifestyle promotes a sustainable um shopping environment i guess for millennials yeah so i mean in, in many ways first i mean from a financial point of view like it is sustainable because you know you're only putting money that you can afford like every month so like let's say someone said okay I can afford to save 50 pound every month and I know that's not going to kill me I can still afford to pay my rent I can afford to pay my groceries I can 
afford to do my enjoyment, all of that stuff. So it's like, you know, we want them to still have like a wholesome lifestyle without like having to, or like, or because I really want this Gucci bag, I'm going to like not eat for like a whole month because I've, I've, a friend of mine has done that before. Um, or like not being able to pay their rent is ridiculous. <laughs> the things that people do just because of Chanel and Gucci. But um, <laughs> honestly, but yeah, so from that angle, yeah, like it's definitely like, you know, promoting sustainable, wholesome lifestyle. And then even from, uh, you know, like from a fashion point of view, like, Obviously, we're not saying that, I'm not saying that just because something is designer means that it's the best quality. Like, we know that there are certain designer products that are not necessarily the best. But, like, in general, they do, if you spend a bit more money on something, it tends to be a better quality item. So, if we think about, like, you know, I've had people tell me that, like, you know, they've, if they had just put money, like, like saved up money and bought like, you know, a good quality handbag rather than every day going on, like, PLT and going on, uh, like, Topshop, whatever, and Primark and buying like low quality stuff, which then breaks after like a month or two, then it's like, you know, it's, it, it makes more sense to just have that one bag that would last you years rather than just having 20 bags that you, that break every two months. So, which again, which isn't good for the environment because I don't know, like in this country, no one repairs things. Like if something breaks, you just throw it away. Like compared to like, I remember, because I grew up in Nigeria, like, and you know, when things break, you fixed it. But here it's like, if things break, you just throw it in the bin. So which obviously isn't good for the environment. So even from that angle also, it's, it's, it's then also promoting that, you know, sustainable, conscious, like living and not just about like hoarding as many things as you can, but also like, you know, just making sure that you actually want the item. And then, and then and sort of linked to that also is like, um, with Kashmir so far, like since we've been operating, like we haven't had anyone return any item that they bought. And considering in e-commerce, the average return rate is 25% and ours is 0%, just goes to show you the value that Kashmir is giving to the users because like, it means that the things that they're buying are things they actually want. Because if you're waiting like four, five, six months to save up for something they buy, that means you actually really want it, not just because you saw it on your favorite influencer, you just like impulsively bought it. So, and again, which then goes back to the whole, like, you know, help, like, you know, sustainable, conscious living. So, yeah, so in many ways, like, we're just really trying to make sure that people are getting the things that they want, but in a, in a way that makes sense for their, um, for their, like, you know, bank accounts and also for their living. That 0% returns rate is super wow. impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny because, again, you think of Kashmir as a fintech, you don't really consider the bigger picture which is actually yes it is beneficial for the environment to take the time and really consider your purchases so just bringing it back a little bit to you know your experience building cashmere you mentioned that you're in a different industry you're in strict traditional finance moving into tech and one of the things you had to do was build networks how did you go about that and how do you think um that influenced your approach when it came to fundraising um so i'm trying to I remember back in the day, because obviously, like, I came up with the idea for Cashmere while I was still working in my finance job. And I think it was just from, like, I, I think I just went on, like, Eventbrite or something and just started looking at, like, I don't know, like, tech events and whatever. And from then, it was, like, you know, when I t- attend one event and I meet someone and then I maybe, like, build a connection with that person and then they introduce me to someone else and someone else and all that. And then it sort of grew from there, like, organically. And then also I started to become a lot more active on Twitter. So I started to make, meet a lot more people by, like on, there's some people I've, I know online, I've never met them in person, but like on Twitter, we're like the best of friends, but <laughs> I've never met this person before in my whole life. But, um, but yeah, so it's kind of, it was, it was just a mixture of like, you know, going to events and sort of like 
being open about what I was trying to build because one of the things that people tend to do sometimes, especially with like, uh, you know, like, you know, aspiring female founders is like when we have an idea for something, we don't really talk about it because we feel like it's not ready yet. It's not perfect yet. We need it to be like amazing before we want to talk about it. But a lot of times, like, and also sometimes people are afraid that like, oh, someone might steal, steal their idea. And, and I mean, those are valid concerns, but I think the pros of talking about your idea um, outweighs the cons because you can go to an event and you talk to somebody about what you're building and you don't know that person could know a future like someone who could join your team could know a potential investor in your business could know a potential like in the business development opportunity and so on. and even like for me when I when I raised my first round of investment I raised it because I went to an event and I met this lady whose close friend was an angel investor and he was my first investor into the business and I just spoke to her about what I was building and she was like oh cool I know a guy who's an investor and bam that was how I got my first first investment but if I had sort of kept quiet about it and not really like you know just or not had not put myself out there as much as I should have then who knows I might not have been able to get the opportunities I made like my two current investors in my business I, I met them so the first one was through the lady at the event and the second one was at an event I met her like four years ago very random like literally man event and then you know a few years down the line she ends up being one of my investors so I always try and tell people particularly female founders that like we just need to try and put ourselves a bit more out there because like I mean I'm an introvert some people don't believe this like I don't like going out I like being I'm a homebody I don't want I don't like stress but when it comes to like work and my business I have to put on this you know another face and be like you know like there's the whole um you know like have you got Beyonce and got Sasha Fierce so Sasha Fierce is ha- like her I have to put on my own Sasha Fierce on and like and I, after the events, I'm out, back to my normal place, go to bed, lie down, Netflix, all of that. So, yeah, that's kind of, yes, yeah. so I would say, like, you know, just try as much as possible to connect with as many people as you can. That would, that makes sense. Not just to connect with anyone, but as much people as you can. Really, like, take some time to really understand the industry that you're trying to tap into, especially if you don't come from that industry traditionally. Um, and then it just sort of works its way, like, as you, as you go along. I'm very glad that you raised it, the fact that you're an introvert, because I was going to ask, um, do you have any practical tips in terms of how you break out of that shell when you're in a public space, but also retain your energy? Because, you know, it can be draining if that's not your, the natural environment that you thrive in. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I just try to remember is, like, why am I doing this? Like, I know that, is there a reason why I'm... Um, I'm at this event and what 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 benefit do I want to get out of it? So if I give an example from um the the one of the ladies who's my one of my current investors who I met at an event in like about four years ago, I remember the reason why I went to the event was because of her, because I saw that she was speaking, she was on the panel, and I was like, oh my god, like I'd known her, like she's relatively a bit famous and all that. So like I wanted to just hear her speak. So I paid my ticket for the event and I kind of sat close to the front. And then after the event ended. I, you know, it was an evening event. I'd been at work all day and I was tired. Like, I just didn't want to be, like, talking to people, to be honest. But I just felt like I know that if I don't speak to her, I'm going to regret it. And the one thing I don't like is regret. Like, like I hate that feeling of, like, oh, if only. So um, I remember at the end of the event, you know, when there's, like, networking bits where people start mingling around, I just, like, took a deep breath. And I was just thinking, what would Beyonce do? <laughs> what would Beyonce do? And then I just walked up to her. And then I remember there were a few people trying to talk to her and stuff and I just like, kind of like waited my turn and then went up to speak to her and this at this point like you know cashing was just like an idea in my head I didn't even like 
have anything tangible to show her or anything like that and I just went up to her I just kind of like spoke to her about what I was building and because it was something I really cared about something I like I was really really I hate this word passionate but something I was passionate about it's it came across to her that like oh yeah she, like she knows what she's doing and stuff um and then from there that's kind of how we clicked we met up for dinner like two weeks after and then we started like meeting up like regularly and you know build that friendship and then yeah and then it was kind of like because I knew what my why was my why was like I wanted to meet her because I knew she would help me take my business to the next level because of she's an experienced entrepreneur and she's very well um connected within the industry both from like fashion and investors and so on so like I was like I didn't want to like take anything's chance I just I wanted to be like I know I even if she I met up with her and she would turn out to be a terrible person at least I know I tried my best that's kind of how I was seeing it so um it's difficult though because like um it's not something that it just happens like you just have to practice it as much as you can just sort of like just thinking about why am I doing this why am I doing this and the worst the worst that can happen is person saying no and then you move on like it's not going to be the end of the world you won't die <laughs> <laughs> I just say I'm absolutely loving the Beyonce references and I can tell <laughs> you are a Beyonce stan so our question oh, is how, yeah. how has Beyonce inspired the way that you work with and, and with on Kashmir and inspired Kashmir's direction um, I think for me, like, Beyonce's work ethic has been, is unmatched as far as I'm concerned. No one is on Beyonce's level when it comes to her work ethic. And I think that's kind of what I try and emulate. I mean, I'm nowhere near that at all. But it's sort of like that whole constant push to be better than before. Like, I, I always compare it to, like, every time I've gone to see Beyonce concerts or, like, if I've watched any of her things online, and you're watching and you're like, oh my God, this is the best I've ever watched. And like, there's no way this woman could top this. And the next time she does, and you're like, how? How did she do this? And it's, it's sort of that, that sort of attitude of like, okay, I'm, I know I'm great and I've created a great piece of work, but how can I be greater? And so that, that whole constant like improvement, consistent improvement is what I try and, um, try and do. And, you know, cause obviously no one can never be perfect. And, you know, and I don't think people should strive for perfection. I think people should strive for excellence because, you know, excellence means that you are doing the best that you can and you are being the best. Whereas perfection is like, it's impossible. There is no way you can be perfect. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of how I, you know, try and sort of use Beyonce as like my inspiration to like, you know, um, build my business. Um, and ju- just, yeah, it's mainly how, I mean, I love her music and everything, like, ugh, don't even get me started on that. But for me, like, the main, main thing that really draws me to her is just that work ethic and just constantly, like, pushing herself to be the best that she can possibly be. Final question on that, actually. So Beyonce obviously went from Destiny's Child to being the biggest star in the world, global domination. Yeah. Where do you see Kashmir going? Um, so I see Kashmir being a global brand. Um, so right now we are, you know, UK focused, um, and um, we're focused mainly on like luxury fashion. But what I see Kashmir is being as is, I want it to be the go-to personal finance companion for the aspirational consumer globally. So whether it's them wanting to save up for their favorite, like you know, like Gucci bag or Chanel bag, whatever, it's or they want to save up for the next luxury holiday or um you know like luxury technology and gadgets and things like that just really looking at the aspirational consumer and understanding what lifestyle do they want to have in the future and 
we want it for Cashman to be their go-to app to help them reach their desired outcome. Thank you so much, Irena. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us. This has been so great. Where can we find you? Where can we find Cashmere? Yeah, sure. So um, if you visit cashmereapp.co.uk, you can sign up and start saving up for the lifestyle you deserve. Um, And then we're also on Twitter and Instagram. um, It's cashmere underscore HQ. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fit. For more updates, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at eFitterApp or follow us with the hashtag TheFitPod. Don't forget to like us, rate us, comment, engage however you listen to your podcast. It's really important for us so that we can get the word out there. See you soon. Bye.